0: What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law.
1: You're listening to Done by Law. Brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres
2: you're tuning in to done by law at 3cr on 855 am we acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin nation as the traditional and rightful custodians of the land we're broadcasting from we pay our respects to elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen and never ceded always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So it's 6pm on the 18th of May and we're your hosts Indy and Dylan. We're going to be discussing the national campaign for a federal cultural heritage protection act. We've all seen recently the ongoing destruction of Indigenous cultural and historically significant sites across the country, like the Jaborong birthing trees here in Victoria and the Jukan Gorge by Rio Tinto in WA.
0: Today we'll be hearing from Larissa Baldwin. Hi Larissa, thanks for coming.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Larissa is GetUp's First Nations Justice Campaign Director. Larissa is a Widgeable woman from the Bunjalong Nations. She dedicates her life to fighting First Nations justice and self-determination. And right now, she is working with traditional owners across the country towards a federal Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Cultural Heritage Protection Act. Larissa, we've seen in the media the destruction of the Junkin Gorge in WA and the birthing trees in Victoria. Could you tell us a little bit about what is in place at the moment to protect these sites?
1: I think that the thing that people are really uh, concerned to learn that across Australia there's a patchwork of legislation under many different acts but there is no cohesive uh, legislation to protect cultural heritage in terms of what happens at a state and territory uh, level it's a lot of patchwork a lot of the laws currently that we have are left up to ministerial discretion and so there is isn't adequate protection for cultural heritage which is something that people are really surprised by when they learn that like when people talk about cultural heritage it's Sometimes I think people find it really hard to distinguish between that and sacred sites and people think that these things would be protected. We talk about the Dukun Gorge being uh, destroyed and that was really a huge trigger point because it's something that is like one of the oldest, you know, intact records of human civilization in terms of the way that people lived and people talk about the hair belts that were found there and how internationally significant this site was and for it to be blown up. It's just like sent these kind of shockwaves around the nation but also around the world in terms of the investment community. Like you just blow up something that's 10 times older than the pyramids that talks a lot about you know where humans have come from and i feel like the outrage that we've seen about that and a lot of people are asking now like why this legislation wasn't adequate to protect and, and one of the things is to, to know is that at a federal level the legislation and that there's so much is left up to discretion and there are so many issues with the legislation that we have over the year year of like 10 to 15 years, we've had a lot of people coming and changing and especially the mining corporations have been kind of white ending the legislation. So yeah, really right now what we have is a patchwork that doesn't protect anything properly.
2: And we did see on the 25th of March this year that traditional owners were meeting with some federal politicians for a push for this national scheme or this National Cultural Heritage Protection Act. Can you talk a little bit about why the call for this now, obviously it goes into what you've just said um, a moment ago, and what a Cultural Heritage Protection Act would do?
1: Yeah, so... When we understand, in, in terms of understanding who First Nations people are across this country, we are, our history is oral and our culture and we are unique as First Nations people because we are place-based and so we have boundaries and so much of our knowledge systems and kinship systems is written in landmarks, but also tangible and intangible. So like there could be the landmarks and song lines and, but also there's the, the, the things that go along with that, which is like stories and um, ceremony and that sort of stuff. And all these things come together. to be kind of uh work at our law system the way that we interact with people how we create social orders and kinship connections and that sort of stuff and so when we talk about cultural heritage it's important to say i think a lot of people can understand maybe like what a sacred site is in terms of like really in a tangible way is something that Aboriginal people use through ceremony or burial or something very significant. And Obviously, it's usually something in terms of that knowledge being not being able to be made public. There is a register of sacred sites around the country and people understand that as part of cultural heritage, but cultural heritage doesn't, it may not protect that song line that sacred site belongs to. The reason that it's happening now is because it has been such outrage. Um, I think something of this, it's not that something of this significance has been blown up before. For. It's just, a, I think that the globe and like people across Australia are more aware of other cultures and, and what we do to those things. I think there's a lot of, you know, language and talk about what co- cultural appropriation means, how things should be protected. The fact that, you know, a lot of white in- institutions are protected and a lot of first nations cultures across the world aren't protected properly. And so when something like Jukun Gorge happened, what we've, re- when we started running the campaign, what we really wanted to go out there and explain like how this thing was happening. People were outraged and like, this should be illegal and this is van. And it's like, no, this is perfectly leavable. In fact, the traditional owners, and I think once the story started coming out, and that's the thing that really outraged people, is like there was a stop work order put in by the traditional owners. The company did know exactly, they pre-hired lawyers because they knew there would be some public backlash, but the iron ore under the rock shelter was worth an extra $4 billion. And so they pre-hired all these lawyers, the traditional owners, uh, Rio Tinto had paid for the archaeological dig, so they absolutely knew the significance of the site. And that's the thing for a lot of Aboriginal people where we don't have have uh, access and the money to, you know, kind of put this evidence in and around our site. So we might agree to having a mining company or, or um, some sort of industrialization coming in on country but once you go through the cultural heritage management plans and that sort of stuff and do the science and have archaeologists and have that ability to go on country and collect that evidence, we often find that our sites are way more significant. You know, we are the oldest living culture in the world. We have been here for an incredibly long time. And so one of the things that happened in and Gorge that people found really outrageous is that they found that this site was much, much more valuable than they originally thought. They then put tried to put in a stop work order and basically the company ignored it but also the federal... Government, um, the environment minister got sent to Ken Wyatt, who's the Indigenous Affairs Minister. Uh, he sent it on Ken to Susan Lay, who basically her commu- her uh, office were out, and so this thing was destroyed. The 11th hour stoppage, which we have usually to protect sites, it wasn't able to protect this incredibly significant site, and so the outrage and the fallout from that was massive because it's completely unjust when people actually un- unpack what happened. But also, you know, I think we haven't had for a long time. We see the outrage in our own communities, but I think that a lot of Australians are not aware of the amount of cultural heritage that exists in this country uh, or, you know, even understand the amount of significant sites that might be in and around them every day that the local Aboriginal community is aware of, but the general population
0: is unaware of. Thanks, Larissa. In, in terms of how it happened, I'm, I'm just a little interested in exploring the, the federal minister's response to the and Gorge destruction and how that happened? Just to, un- if you could unpack that a little bit more.
1: Yeah. So it's one of the things that comes underneath the cultural, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Cultural Heritage Protection Act at the moment. And so the way, this is why it doesn't work because what happens is once we are notified or we become aware of the site that it's going to be destroyed, that can happen on a very fast timeline. So we can know that Actually, there's excavation happening around sacred sites and that sort of stuff and not actually being told by the people that are there that they're doing the thing. And so at very late notice, traditional owners in some places across the country can put in what are called Section 10s or Section 18s, which is an emergency like stop work act. Um, And the minister has 30 days to respond to that. So what happened was they put that in. The minister didn't see it and then in the time that they put the The minister didn't respond to it and in the time um, that she should have responded to it it was destroyed and so what it should do is immediately force a stop work but it didn't do that which is why and also the other thing that we see right across Western Australia is a lot of these sites actually aren't registered so once the approval in terms of that mine being signed off under WA legislation uh, and there being an agreement to go ahead there actually is no way to review new significant evidence about sites it's kind of like what you put in at the point that that's signed off on and you need, you understand that like since they did that sign off on the original proposal of the mine they'd found this hair belt that had directly 6,000 years old that directly linked DNA to the traditional owners that are there today and so in terms of like them being able to claim how significant this site was and the fact that they had all this oral history and they knew what had happened there it just gave a lot of stronger evidence but that new evidence under the current federal cultural heritage protection act is not allowable as new evidence so that doesn't increases significance of the site it doesn't trigger a review around the destruction or the protection of it uh, and so these are issues with the current legislation that we have um, where everything is is very broad and intangible but also leaves a lot up to ministerial discretion so what we usually see is that stop work order we've put in that minister will then kick it off to an inquiry that inquiry is usually run by a people who are not indigenous and so that's one of the also the, one of the issues so like people that are archaeologically Uh, archaeologists people that are working in museums those are the people that make decisions on what has cultural heritage value for us you can see like the point where you know traditional owners have been asking for veto rights over cultural heritage protection for 30 years it's a very long time that people have been trying to get this legislation the reviews into the New South Wales Act have been going on for over 20 years they've been promising this legislation so while there's a patchwork at the state and territory level At the federal level, we've got mostly ministerial discretion. So the legislation is not worth the paper it's written on and it can't stop destruction. And I think if you look at something, so that's like understanding what's happening in Jook and Gorge, but if you look at the disparity of how those um, um, kind of stop works and ministerial discretions work, somewhere like New South Wales, over the last 10 years, 700 applications have been put in to stop work around cultural heritage destruction. Of those stop works, only five have been stopped So it's 700 destructions across New South Wales of cultural and significant sites for us. And it's like, it's so weighted in in favour of people who are making money in terms of industry. And so like, this is why the legislation really needs to look at actually, how do we first quantify what our cultural heritage is and and how is that done? Because at the moment, it's all up to mining companies or it's all up to kind of industry and um, the minister has all the power at the table. And it means that... Community is reliant on using other mechanisms
2: like what's happening with the jabberong birthing trees to stop state and federal governments from destroying historically important sites um, because it sounds like the what is currently in place is just not good enough. The National Register doesn't have a lot of fluidity. It's not big enough or broad enough. You have an inquiry process where First Nations people do not have a seat at the table. It's completely geared towards these big companies that are quite often destroying land for their own economic benefit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that we also see, and this really goes to the issues around Joparong, is that we have the government we have bureaucratic bodies and we the reality is is that all the big kind of rep native title bodies are also government bureaucratic bodies and then you have local kind of Aboriginal controlled organizations but that doesn't mean that those bureaucratic structures represent what is our cultural like kind of our cultural heritage decision making bodies in terms of like in the northern territory just because the northern land council is there and there's a the northern land council is embedded in community doesn't mean So they can be talking to the traditional owner group about a site, but we know from Japparang is that it's a women's site. So if they haven't talked to the traditional owners or the cultural custodians of that site, then how are they, who's making the decision here? So they say, well, this Aboriginal corporation has signed off on it, but the due diligence hasn't been done on a local level. And so that's part of the problem as well. When we see, there are instances where this works, and so I don't want to say, like, it's a really complex and it's too hard to do. There is the Aboriginal Protected Areas Authority in the Northern Territory, and they work as a check and balance uh, in terms of doing the clearance with local traditional owners, so talking to Numeriki, talking to Jungai and stuff like these These are the cultural police. And so it doesn't matter that these people don't sit within kind of the, the bureaucratic bodies because... They have a body there that understands how cultural heritage is maintained and looked after at a local level. And so that's one of the things we're asking for in kind of the federal act is for it to function more like that. There are some cultural heritage management pieces across the country where if we pull them together, it will allow traditional owners to actually come forward and say, this is the sites that we want to protect. This is what has value to us. We can list it on a national register. We can also say that sites don't need to be listed onto that, but there is a, a trigger process in terms of notifying those traditional owners because some of this stuff is really sacred and we can't put it on national register because that, that information is privileged, but there is a way that we, we can do this with nuance. On Thursday the 20th of May, Wyndham Humanitarian Network is holding a free Bring Your Bills Day in Wyndham Vale. Members of the community who have had questions about bills or debts can attend the event to speak to lawyers, financial counsellors, ombudsman schemes and other community organisations. The event will run from 11.30am to 7.30pm on Thursday the 20th of May at the Wurrungal Darung Centre at 19 Communal Road, Wyndham Vale. Windham Vale Humanitarian Network is a 3CR supporter.
2: And you're tuned in to Done By Law on 3CR on the 18th of May and we're your hosts Indy and Dylan. Today we've been lucky enough to speak to Larissa Baldwin. Larissa is the Director of the First Nations Justice Team at GetUp and we've been talking about the Federal Cultural Heritage Protection Act
0: definitely highlighted the the overwhelming bureaucratic process that traditional owners and first nations people more broadly have to um, encounter when they are seeking to establish culturally significant sites but also protect country are you concerned at all that any new legislation would function in a way like native title act where there's so many hurdles that need to get jumped through in order to establish native title or in this case a culturally significant site that as you mentioned before first nations people don't have the same resources how do you think you're going to be able to get around those legislative bureaucratic hurdles
1: this is why it is really important so when we talk about native title it's important to understand that we never got what we were promised way back when and also during how the howard era basically there was a 10 point plan that completely destroyed native title. So it's not worth the paper it's written on and also the future acts and how that interacts with us. Native title only gives people who have native title determinations the right to negotiate. And so that's an incredible thing that we need to talk about in this country because only having the right to negotiate means you don't have the right to veto, which is the thing that is being asked for under the cultural heritage legislation is that we should have the right to veto. Veto rights exist under land rights legislation and veto rights are land rights. It's our ability to say yes or no. No to something. It doesn't mean a project won't go ahead, but it could mean that. So, say someone comes up to propose a new development and they go to the traditional owners and we have veto rights and we say, you cannot destroy this site. It means the company has to come back to us, and the developer has to come back to us with a management plan that says, this is how we can go ahead with this project and not disturb this site. And this is the management plan we were put in. In place for you to have access for, to it, but also uh, in, in order to look after it and make sure that it's not disrupted. And so, veto rights can work. And, and I think that one of the things that a lot of people say, the legislation when native title came out, people talking about Aboriginals coming in and claiming their backyards and that sort of stuff. And a lot of people are going to start talking about cultural heritage, it's like this is going to stop progress and, and and stuff being built and that sort of stuff. It will stop our heritage from being destroyed. It doesn't mean it will stop industry from going ahead, but it's a, it's about the relationship and being able to work with them. So native title doesn't work. It only has the right to veto. But also the other thing under native title that we see time and time again is that when we say no to stuff, and this is the thing that hangs over people's head with native title, is that the state can step in on behalf of the proponent and compulsory acquire land. And so you have this thing where you can negotiate. And so this is where I really don't agree when people are just like, you know, these traditional owners are for mining or anti-mining. It's like, we don't actually have a right to say no to a lot of mining across this country. And if we do try and say no to it, the government can come in and compulsory acquire it for 99 years and then we lose all rights to it and any rights to negotiate around trying to protect any sacred sites. And so people need to understand under cultural heritage as it exists, but also under native title, that there is a lot of duress in the decision making for traditional owners. And we need to remove kind of that power imbalance. And that's one of the fundamental things that have to happen under this new legislation. It needs to be about protection first, and then we can work out how we work with different stakeholders around uh, building and and doing mining and that sort of stuff if you if different traditional owners agree with it but right now we don't have that under legislation
0: it it absolutely sounds like law the laws need to be almost switched because there's like a presumption here that mining interests, profit interests, those that's what's most important. And then then they look at Aboriginal land and culturally significant sites where it sounds like what you're saying is that protection should come first. Then yeah. they can look at other exploration or land acquisition.
1: Yeah, we're seeing this, there are two pretty significant cultural heritage fights. Oh, I should say one, so where the Jukan Gorge was destroyed, there are 125 sites that are currently at risk by Rio Tinto and BHP and a number of other companies within 100 kilometre radius of that site so there's huge cultural heritage fights happening over there we've seen over in new south wales where we've got uh gomeroy people trying to protect their grinding groups and i know shanwa mine is i don't know in the process of selling off the licenses but santos is, is in there trying to drill and frack for gas as well but you know that's their cultural heritage in terms of like what what's is significant there about the grinding groups is like this is where gomeroy warriors went to sharpen their spears to go into battle against european invasion in this country and so it's an incredible expanse of where warriors came and, you know, the Gomorrah are a warrior nation and they that's why it's so big in New South Wales, where they went and sharpened their spears. This is a war memorial for the Gomorrah people. If you said that you were going to cut up the National War Memorial and move it somewhere else to put a mine underneath, there would be outrage across the country. But there's no empathy that these two cultural heritage sites are significant in this country. And so, you know, even though the company says and the Department of Planning says you can't move the grinding groups like stone phones without destroying them, without cutting them up. And then on the other hand, you have Minister Susan Lay come out and say, even though this site is of immeasurable value to the Gomoroi people, the economic value outweighs that. And so it's like that's what we're constantly coming up against, that the money that's at stake here is more important than a cultural heritage value, and that's the ministerial decision. I don't think that's in line with a lot of kind of everyday people in in this country. A lot of people like to celebrate the fact that this is the oldest continuing culture in the world, would like to protect it, I think a lot of people would like to have, where appropriate, access to actually First Nations education of like what actually happened in this country and having access to different cultural heritage works. We're seeing like an explosion in First Nations tourism around the country. And we've had the country locked down for almost a year and our border shut down. So that's people here are going to see First Nations sites and, and, and doing that tourism with First Nations people. But the government seems to think that, you know, mining is always of more value. And we've been in this relationship and it's not a relationship, but we've been in this fight against the mining lobby in the government for 233 years. It's always been about extraction first.
2: And this is a really good segue, I guess, to briefly talking about the government's been spouting their gas-led recovery to tackle climate change. And this will ultimately just result in further fracking, further destruction of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lands, do you think this veto power that you're campaigning for, do you think this is going to be something important when it comes to pushing back on government who is saying we're going to have this gas-led recovery?
1: So veto powers are important and I think, like, people should understand that veto rights has been, you know, what... The Gringe people from Wave Hill were asking for Vincent Lingiari and that sort of stuff. So veto rights have been a, like cornerstone of the land rights movement for over 50 years. Um, and in the NT, what we see is a patchwork of leg- of um, kind of land tenure up there. So we have lots of land that comes under native title, lots of it that comes under the Aboriginal Land Rights Act NT. And so we're, um, so there's a huge amount, the Aboriginal state in the Northern Territory is very, very big uh, in terms of, traditional owners having rights over that land and what we see where we have land trusts under aboriginal land rights act is that those traditional owners were able to veto the gas fields and they were saying, no we don't want them those same traditional owners can also be the traditional owners under native title land where they have no right to veto which is right next to their land trust land so it's like the same traditional owner groups across the country across and saying we don't want this thing because it's going to impact our water we don't want fracking across, We, you know, you never came here and told us that there are going to be gas fields across this country. We don't want it. We know the Aboriginal Protected Areas NT under the uh, inquiry, the inquiry into fracking, those certifications weren't done across the NT. So there's a lot of worry up there about, Where are you going to put these drill rigs? And even now, we know, we talked to some Gadanji people as well out near Boralula, about 85 kilometres from Boralula. They're saying, we didn't even know that that drilling site, the empires um, went went and drilled uh, up there. And they're saying, we don't even know that they were drilling up there. We told them to go away. But they realised that they told them to go, go away under their land trust. They can't tell them to go away under their native title even though the land is right next to each other. And so that's the thing where it's like, this is incredibly unfair, but it's also, it's these communities are saying, we don't want you out here. We don't want you impacting on our water. We understand, you know, the, the scientists are saying, you know, we don't know that much about, you know, the underwater catchments and that sort of stuff. And you have traditional owners on the other hand saying like, we know exactly where the water catchments are for this area. And we know if we drill in this place, we're going to affect all these communities downstream. Had scientists come out this, this year and they found it's like, it's kind of like a really, a small, like plankton, like a like small micro like prawn things that run from one end of the Betelow Basin and have been found somewhere up near Catherine. And so it shows that all the waterways are interconnected. Traditional owners have dreaming stories about this um, these little organisms and stuff like that in there and, and they call it their mosquito dream. But they're saying if you drill through these aquifers, you're going to destroy it. And so if they had the right to veto and say no to these things, then it wouldn't be going ahead. The fight for traditional owners across the NT saying no to fracking has been going on for 10 years. I've been working on the campaign for six years, but for 10 years, they've been saying no. And for longer than that, they've been organising across the community and dealing with these companies. And they've you know they've had companies come in and change their names and the same company and, and stuff like that. So... It's really confusing for people, but people are also really exhausted. And I think that's the thing of like this gas and fracking industry is just like winding and wearing people down, just thinking that we're going to get it to go ahead. Just last week, uh, the government came out. Obviously, there was all those about $550 million in the budget to get fracking across the country. And that's about building the infrastructure uh, and building the pipelines and stuff like that. But that also, just on Thursday night, the Northern Australia Infrastructure Facility that loan basically just made two point five billion dollars available for fracking as well, and that will mean in the Beetaloo there'll be millions of that for the Beetaloo as well. So people are really worried. Veto rights absolutely would allow them to do this, but it's the patchwork of land tenure in this case, where traditional owners, you know, on one side of the country they can say no, and on the other side they only have the right to negotiate, which is it's not right.
0: Laurissa, uh, thank thank you for um, exploring. Aboriginal cultural heritage protection. It appears that there's a huge fight ahead, especially with the government's recent announcements around gas exploration and hydrogen and public funding, more fossil fuels, and that's going to inevitably uh, destroy more land and cultural significant sites. What can uh, our listeners out there do in order to support your campaign?
1: I think there's two things. So firstly, for like the traditional owners, I'm working with a lot of communities across the NT about fracking, We're obviously very worried about all these decisions that have come through and the money that's coming through from the federal government. And understand that this project can't happen without federal funding because the traditional owners have worked so heavily against the investors of these companies saying, do not invest in this project. We don't want it to go ahead. We won't give you production licenses. Um, and so... A lot of the drilling and exploration hasn't been able to go ahead because the companies are very nervous that the traditional owners are going to say no to them in production, which is absolutely what they're saying and threatening that they're going to do. They don't want it on their country. So on fracking, there is a lot of work to be done around the Northern Australia Infrastructure Facility. This is a federal fund, a federal loan scheme. And we have moved before as a movement across the country to veto, to get governments to veto those loans. We know there was a billion-dollar veto um, for the Queensland government uh, that stopped the money from going from public money into the coffers of Adani for the Carmichael coal mine. We shouldn't be paying for these uh, this infrastructure. So just to your listeners, to you go to don'tfrackthent.org.au, sign up there and there will be a lot of action coming forward and a lot of ways to support traditional owners in the NT. Um, and on the cultural heritage legislation, at the moment we're seeing a national inquiry, and that's a really good thing that that inquiry is looking at what's happening across the country, not just in WA. But we really, really need to keep the pressure on um, about legislating this. We absolutely need a legislation to protect cultural heritage. We can get it, but we can't get it if people kind of go quiet. And so cultural heritage protection is happening. There'll be big rallies across NAIDOC this July asking for that, that legislation to come forward. Um, and we need to see a movement of people that, you know, we didn't get what we what we were promised under native title, because I think lots of people across the country, everyone came out and supported us to have this legislation when that high court came down and then I think a lot of people stepped away until the deal was done so we didn't get the things we were supposed to get so in order to get meaningful protection for cultural heritage you'll be able to see a lot of the campaigns going around during uh, Nadoc. but just as you understand like write to your senators that are across the country write to your local members and tell them what cultural heritage means to you it's not just up to aboriginal people to protect it and I think that you know the more our government is saying that this is something that everyone wants protected the more chance that we have to legislate this federal heritage protections.
2: Fantastic. Thank you, Larissa. That was a really great discussion. have been listening to Done By Law on 3CR.
1: The Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA Victorians. The helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, relationships, suicide prevention, and sexual assault. For information, support, and referral, call the Rainbow Door on 1-800-729-367. That's 1-800-729-367,
2: 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day. Switchboard is a 3CR supporter.